0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio.
2: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. We have an interview today. We were connected to the folks at Macmillan Podcasts about their new show, which is called Driving the Green Book. It is hosted by Alvin Hall, who took a road trip from Detroit to New Orleans, along with associate producer Janae Woods-Weber. They documented this trip and the places they went and the people they talked to and the stories they told in a 10-part series that's all about the Negro Motorist Green Book. The first five episodes are out now and new episodes come out on Tuesdays. Tracy talked to
0: Alvin and Janae about their thoughts and experiences with the Negro Motorists Green Book and their road trip and the podcast itself, and we're sharing that interview with you today.
2: I'm here today with Alvin Hall and Janae Woods Weber, and we're going to talk about their new podcast, Driving the Green Book. Alvin is the host, and Janae, you are the associate producer, correct? Yes. Yeah, so the Negro Motorist Green Book, which later became known as the Negro Traveler's Green Book, was really the most well-known guide for Black travelers before the Civil Rights Act of 1964 outlawed racial discrimination and public accommodations. So Victor Hugo Green, who was a letter carrier, started this guide in 1936 and was inspired in part by similar guides that were meant for Jewish travelers and just travel guides in general For this podcast, Alvin and Janae went on a road trip last year from Detroit to New Orleans and interviewed people who used the Green Book in their own lives, so they talked about their own experiences then and now. Alvin and Janae, I am so happy that you're here with me today, and I'm also so glad that you've created this podcast. I have really wanted to talk about the Green Book on our show for years, and I had a hard time figuring out a great approach to it. And the approach that you have chosen is really fantastic because you're not only talking to real people about their real experiences, you've also just taken a broader look at the Green Book more as a time capsule. So beyond giving people a resource for safe places to do things like deal with car trouble or get a bite to eat, uh, also, you know, having a document of what the world was like over these decades And I also wanted to talk to both of you together today because you went on this trip together, (laughs) which I also love. So, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. First, starting with Alvin, could each of you tell us just a little about your background and what drew you to this project?
3: In 2015, I was approached by a guy at the BBC who had read an article about the Green Book and thought there should be a program about it. I had also read an article about the Green Book and had been thinking about it at the same time. And as a result, we created an earlier version of this, but completely different for the BBC called the Green Book. I'd been working on and off from the BBC since about 1997 when I started there creating personal finance programs. So in the UK, I had done Investing for All with Alvin Hall and my landmark series, Your Money or Your Life, which was a reality show about money. When that ended, I started to do more cultural programming uh, around things like who sold the soul, intellectual property and African-American music, Jay-Z from Brooklyn to the boardroom. And that eventually led
2: to The Green Book. That's great. How about you, Janae? What, What brought you to this project?
4: As a biracial black woman who was raised in New England by a white mother, I have always been on a quest to discover my black, my African American heritage. And this is in part fueled not only by my desire to know about my ancestors and to understand my place in our country and in our history, but also by the decade of work that I have done fighting for the liberation of Black people and other people of color. I've been active in the Moral Monday movements, in the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm an activist. I also work for a family foundation where we focus on equity and education, which means taking a very explicit look at the ways racism and poverty impact the educational outcomes and opportunities for children, in particular, Black children and other children of color.
2: So the Green Book started out focused just on the New York City area, particularly around Harlem, primarily for services that a motorist would need on the road. So like auto mechanics, a place to get a bite to eat. Uh, can you tell us about how it expanded from there?
3: Yes. Victor gradually realized that people were traveling farther and further across America. So first he expanded it all the way down to Florida and up to the Mississippi River because that was easy for him to access. He gathered the information from fellow postmen who were in the same union. At the time he was a postman, there were Black postman union and a white postman union. And so the Black postman would know the places that had the best food, that had clean uh, accommodations, where you could get all of the services you need when you travel. So Victor collected all of that. First, going up to the Mississippi, and then quickly after that, he expanded it across the U.S. He would advertise in the Green Book that if you wanted your place listed there, give them a call. And he also hired agents at some point who would also go out and visit the places, confirm them, and recommend that they advertise in the Green Book. So it gradually became a picture of America and a changing America at that time.
2: I knew that he was a letter carrier, and I didn't realize that he had relied on the other members of his union to to build out uh, the Green Book. There is so much fascinating information in the episodes of your show that are out so far. Um, as of when we're recording, there are four out, unless one came out today. No,
3: they come out every <laughs> um, Tuesday.
2: They come out every <laughs> Tuesday. So there are four out now, and they have talked about things like entrepreneurship is just referenced. Um, How the Green Book connects to some really thriving Black neighborhoods. Uh, One that you uh, talked about and visited was uh, the note is Little Harlem in Jackson, Mississippi. As you were making all of these connections, was there anything that you discovered that really surprised you?
4: Absolutely. I, for one, was incredibly surprised in a gratifying sort of way to learn about the entrepreneurship of Black women. I have commented on this numerous times to Alvin while we were in the process of going on this road trip, while we were perusing copies of the Green Book. And and since then, as we've been sharing these stories about our time on the road, because for me growing up, what I was taught, the history that I was taught, was that black women, our history in this country started as enslaved people, or we were domestics. I did not know that black women were the economic backbone of many Black communities. They ran boarding houses, they ran hotels, they ran restaurants. And oftentimes, because of racism, white men, white businessmen and communities would not want to do business with Black men. So they would instead speak with the Black women, which I found to be a very interesting situation considering, you know, what we know now about uh, feminism and business and how men in general don't deal with women. But to understand that there was a time when Black women were really at the forefront of economic activity, especially in the South, was an eye-opener for me. How about you, Alvin?
3: For me, it was the resilience that we saw again and again. People would tell us the most Horrific stories, Hezekiah's story in episode one about he and his brother sitting in the car, watching their father be demeaned by sheriffs when they go to the house to collect his Aunt Beattie's paycheck. To think about the collateral damage of that situation, him, his brother, the mother sitting in the car, but also to think about how he, when he tells that story, he doesn't tell it as a negative totally, But he tells it as something they survive, they learn from. He then used that knowledge later on when he was stopped again, and he passed that on to the next generation so that they could survive. We heard the story of survival and optimism in the face of really dangerous situations again and again. And what fascinated me and what I took away from it is that we as African Americans have someplace in us, this well. Of optimism, resilience, and the belief that we can make our futures better.
2: That's really lovely. There was a moment, and I don't, I don't remember the specifics, but there was a moment in one of the episodes that I was listening to where one of the people you were talking to was telling a story. And it was like everyone in the room laughed so joyfully about I felt almost like I was intruding <laughs> on <laughs> someone else's private gathering. Um and it really speaks to what you were just talking about. In this next segment of the interview, Tracy talks with Alvin and
0: Janae about how their own experiences on the road mirrored the experiences of some of the people they interviewed. But before we get into that, we're going to pause and have a sponsor break.
2: And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. When you think about the future,
0: what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at HowLifeUnfolds.com slash Papertarian.
1: Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber live like a gigonaire. Available wherever you'll get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATNT.com/slash hypergig for details.
2: Victor Green talked about how he really hoped that one day the Green Book would not be necessary anymore. And unfortunately, he did not live to see that day because he died in 1960. His wife, Alma, had been working on the Green Book with him. She took over managing it. She later passed it on to others. And it uh, the last edition came out in 1966. So that was after the Civil Rights Act was in effect. But, I mean, it's clear today that travel still is not nearly as safe for Black travelers as it is for white travelers. Was that something that influenced the trip as you were planning to go on it for this show?
4: Absolutely, 100%. In some more overt ways, for example, Alvin and I made plans to drive explicitly only during daylight. We were not interested in tempting any sort of negative fate by driving on... Foreign southern roads that we weren't familiar with at night. And also, something that we had never talked about, but that we did quite naturally was I drove (laughs) almost the whole way, more than 2,000 miles, because we both know a black man at the wheel of a nice car can attract the attention of unwanted scrutiny. And we simply didn't want to deal with that. And we never had a conversation about it, but we had an implicit understanding that that's how we would operate on the road.
3: Yes. And I think that's something that was really powerful looking back on the trip that Janae and I, who have been friends a long time, we knew there were things that we just understood between the two of us. It was like we had this radar. We didn't need to say it because we both understood what was happening. Even sometimes during the interviews, people would start to say things and we would both look at each other. And we knew just to stop and let them continue talking because what they were about to share with us was coming from a place of trust, a place of just belief that we understood it Mm. in our road trip. And often these were stories about things that happened on the road and they would end and there would be this moment of silence because the three of us in the room understood.
2: I I should have asked earlier how the two of you met and started working together.
3: (laughs) We've known each other a long time. Janae can tell the story.
4: It's been a hot minute, Alvin. (laughs) 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 We met because Alvin is a writer, a very gifted writer, and was working on a book with my father-in-law. And um, I met Alvin one day when he came to my father-in-law's office to do some work. We started talking, we hit it off, and we have been laughing and sharing stories ever since. And that was probably about 20 years ago.
3: About 20 years, and meals, let's not forget our love of food.
4: That's true, we have a shared love of good food, good music, good conversation.
2: That sounds like, uh, like a 2,000 mile trip. That's a, a long trip to take together um and as someone who also travels for my job sometimes having somebody that i know well that i trust that i like have a positive companionship with makes it so much more of a joy uh, even though travel can be challenging
3: being in the car was a joy but it was also a time for both of us to reflect on interviews we had just had thoughts we were having personal reflections i often think that the conversations we had in the car would make their own podcasts (laughs) because they're really about the two of us as friends, the two of us dealing with our background, thinking about what we had learned, and thinking about the passage of time, connecting the stories we had just heard to contemporary events. So it was really good.
4: I appreciate, Alvin, what you said about the passage of time because I think that notion of time is part of the magic of what makes this podcast so special, not just because in this time, we're looking back and reflecting on what it was like for African-Americans to use the Green Book 30, 40 years ago, understanding that so much has changed in that period of time, but that we're also facing so many of the challenges, but also thinking about the different orientations that Alvin and I have to that passage of time, because we are of different generations. We've been friends for a couple of decades now but Alvin and I are not part of the same generation. And I had a much different experience growing up. I I was born in the post civil rights era world, whereas Alvin grew up during the civil rights era. And the ways that we related to the stories that were being told were quite different. For Alvin, I do think for you, it was like a true homecoming when you heard some of these stories. Whereas for me, it was a revelation. It was an opportunity for me to be introduced to the elders and their wisdom that I never knew because I did not have the privilege of growing up with African-American elders in my family. And so we just had a very different response to what we heard. And I think that that really shines through in the way that these stories ultimately were told.
3: For me, the stories were often deeply penetrating and I had no barriers to them. I just couldn't. They were like going back into my own past. They were like feeling relatives in the room who had died decades ago. It was like living in the moment when you got the right to vote. And all of a sudden, everybody was cheering. All of that was ever present for me.
4: Emotions were very present in this podcast. There was a lot of laughter, but there were also moments when we would look at each other across the table and there would be tears. In folks' eyes. And we would simply look at one another yep. and share that understanding, that knowledge, that even though we are of different generations, we're from different parts of the country, we still have a shared experience around our history, around segregation and racism in this country.
2: Was this something that the two of you talked to each other about during that car time, or was it more of introspective?
3: A bit of both. Um, sometimes you didn't need to say anything. And other times you just needed to get it out. We interviewed a lady, T. Marie King, in Birmingham. I think it was in Birmingham. We interviewed her, I think it was. And she talked about being at the what's commonly called the lynching memorial in Montgomery and seeing uh, one of the jars of earth there with the name of one of her relatives on it. Oh, my. Yeah, and she talked about the moment she saw that because she was giving a tour with other people and looked up, and there was the name, and she knew the name immediately. Uh, When she told about that, you know, that was was one of those moments where you, hearing it, you felt, wow. But yes, she told us in a very cool, a very balanced way that showed how she had taken this in. And she had, as the episode is called, found a place for it. I think often in talking about these things that we heard, it helped both of us to find places for it inside of us, because we knew it, it would never go away. We knew it would be with us for a lifetime, but we had to find a place for it.
2: So before you started this trip, what did you imagine that it was going to be like to do this? Did you have an idea in your mind of what this was all going, how it was going to play out? Oh,
4: wow. That's a wonderful question. And I'll start by saying, I immediately had hoped we would eat lots of amazing, delicious soul food, which we did indeed. (laughs) I have never eaten so much incredible fried chicken in my life. (laughs) But that was, um, you know, just the culinary, physical aspect of it. I didn't know what to expect. I went into this with a sense of wonder, a sense of searching. and. I was looking for not just these parts of history that were never taught to me, but in a way, I think I was also looking for parts of myself that had never been revealed to me, things about where I came from that I've never known about. Because people are products of the places where they are and the families where they grow up. And I grew up distanced from my African-American family. My African-American family also has roots in the Deep South, in Alabama. And I have never spent any significant amount of time there. But I know that their DNA, I know that that Alabama soil runs through my blood. So I was just excited to go and to be there, to breathe the air, to walk on the streets where perhaps my ancestors, my relatives walked, to see the places that they saw and also to bear witness to what they survived. I'm still here. I am here because they were strong, they survived, they lived. Their resilience and their grit is evidenced by the fact that I'm here generations later.
3: I've done several other road trips uh, related to BBC programs. So for me, part of it is making sure we stay on schedule, (laughs) making sure we get the interviews done on time, making sure we're on the road on time. I'm very much about that because you only have so many days for the entire production. It's like a movie. You have to do it in 12 days or you don't. There's no other time or resources left. So that was always in the back of my mind to keep us going. But I was also very much aware of the potential for danger on the road, for example, if we get stopped, which is why Janae drove substantially more than I did. I was also concerned about weather conditions. I was also concerned about finding the places where we were going, because we had no idea where they were located, what types of neighborhoods they were in, uh, whether it would be safe to leave the car. So I I was always a little bit concerned. And to me, the surprising thing was when I realized that my concerns often paralleled the concerns of the people using the green book. You now, where am I gonna stay? Where are we gonna find food? You know What happens if something goes wrong? Do we have a number to call? These were all the same concerns. And here I am in 2019 on the road with Janae and we're having the same concerns.
2: Yeah, when you were talking earlier about leaving very, very early to avoid the possibility of being on the road at night, I was like, I, I heard so many people telling that exact story. Uh, in one of the earlier episodes of the podcast.
3: Yes. Yes, and people also drove all night long sometimes, and they would leave in the middle of the night. Why? Because they wanted to avoid the white gaze on the road. Because many people don't know that any white person, especially in the South, could stop any Black person on the road. And so in order to avoid the chances of that happening, many people drove all night.
4: And also, by driving during the day, you avoided the risk of being caught in a sundown town after the sun went down. Sundown towns did not permit African American people to be within their borders once the sun went down, or there could be trouble.
2: Janae, when you talked earlier about sort of your your sense going into it, uh, when, when I had asked if if there was a, a an image in your mind of of what this trip was going to be like. Um, how did the trip compare to to how you thought going into it when you were d- at the other end of it at the end? Had it gone the way that you thought that it was going to? I, I feel like uh, Alvin had a good sense <laughs> being having gone on several r- road trips of how that was going to, at least most of how it was going to go.
3: Well, I'm going to, as Janae is thinking, I'm going to say something. The trip did not turn out the way I thought it would. Initially, when we thought it through, we were looking for people who had visited certain hotels, certain places in that town, who had eaten at certain restaurants, who could recall what it was like to walk down the black streets and areas of that town. However, and I'm going to be very honest and direct about this. I think for a lot of the people we interviewed, it may have been the first time that they were being interviewed by a black couple. And I think. That because of the combinations of our personalities, our sense of grace, that we made them more comfortable. And the stories went beyond just about buildings and places and time. And they started to share personal stories with us. So at the end of the trip, I realized that we had something richer than I could have ever imagined. The people had trusted us had given us their personal story so we could tell the story of the Green Book in their voices, not ours.
4: I'll agree with that. I went into this trip thinking we would follow the schedule that we had set. We had this, Calvin had a big atlas. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't trust the, the GPS. He had an actual gigantic map that he would pull out and open. So I thought that you know, we would follow the map, we would stick to the schedule, we would do all of the interviews as they were lined up. And as we delved deeper into like these technical aspects of creating this podcast, what Alvin said is true. The humanity of what we were documenting was revealed to us in this absolutely glorious and resplendent and touching way. And I'm really pleased and proud with the way these final stories were captured and shared out with the audience. Because I feel like what the audience experiences hearing these stories really mirrors what I felt when I was on this road trip searching for this history. When I started this road trip, I was going off in search of history that I had never learned, history that was not in my school books but I found something that was so much deeper. It was really about the humanity of the people who lived in this time. And to me, it was a wonderful surprise.
3: I think for both of us, one of the days I think we will laugh about and, and smile at each other about is the, the interview that we started with Anna Nettles and Crystal Churchwell at the Frist Institute in Nashville. It was so, such wonderful. They were vibrant, beautiful Black women, and they were so enthusiastic and so present. And then we interviewed, went to interview Anna Nettles' aunt, Dr. Evelyn Nettles at uh, Tennessee State University. And that evening, when we were looking for a place to go to dinner, Anna said, Oh, no, 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 no. You're coming to my house for dinner. You're coming to, and, and they all came over. It was so heartwarming. And it could have been just like a scene out of, a movie about the real Green Book. We're driving down the road, it's pouring rain, pouring rain. We have no idea where we're going. So we're looking for the Nettles house, you know, the safe harbor, so to speak. And we pull up and we're driving slowly looking for the numbers. And then we see the number, we turn in and the lights are up oh, there. They come out with towels and umbrellas. It was so touching.
4: It was, they ushered us into their home. Yep. There were warm drinks, hugs. Yep. They acted like we were a long lost family finally coming to visit after many months when they had just met us earlier that day, it was really like being embraced. And it was such an incredible experience to understand even just a tiny amount, the relief that black travelers must have had back then after being anxious on the road, especially if they were traveling with young children to show up to a family home and to be greeted with such kindness. It's it's extraordinary,
3: and this is one of those wonderful days that after the interview, we were driving the next day, and Janae and I turned and looked at each other and said, "The nettles of Nashville," <laughs> and that beca- that is episode five, and the concept behind that has not changed since that moment in that car.
2: I'm looking forward to that one. That uh, that one should be out, I think, by the time this episode of the show comes out. Um, I do want to circle back to the idea. I appreciate this podcast so much, and I appreciate your work on it so much because I feel like as a like as a white listener, I'm getting a perspective that I would not have gotten if someone else had gone to do these interviews, and like if a if a white podcast host had asked the same people similar questions that their responses might not have been as candid, so i'm Extraordinarily grateful that like this is existing now to share these people's experiences and views for all audiences uh, in a way that I think if you know if I had tried to do it I might not have captured.
3: I think part of that is again due to Janae's personality and grace, and I always say my southernness. Several times during the interviews, people would go, "Where are you from?" and I would go, "I'm from." Originally from Tallahassee, Florida. They go, I knew you were from the South, or you sound like a relative of mine, right? Because I am Southern. Although I live in New York City, I remain a deeply Southern person in so many ways. And I think that connection was the thing that made them more trusting. They knew we weren't out to betray them or trick them. We just wanted to have a conversation. And the other part of it was because Janae and I are both intelligent people and we talk through everything. We did all of these interviews without notes. We weren't sitting there with notes on our laps following questions. We were listening to these people and all of our questions and responses came honestly and intuitively out of what they were saying, organically out of what they were saying.
4: Yeah, that that's right. We didn't take notes because we weren't there to collect these stories as if they were merely artifacts. These stories were gifts and It was generous of people to share these gifts with us, especially because for many folks, this was not something that they had really talked about publicly before. And the fact that they were speaking about it with me and Alvin was profound because we are Black people and Black history is American history. Black stories are American stories. But we wanted to tell these Black stories from the Black perspective. We wanted to center blackness, african Americanness, in everything, in every element of this podcast. And I think you can feel that when you listen. It, it feels authentic. It feels true. And we're really honoring the spirit and the energy of the people who took the time to share these memories with us.
3: And I'd like to add one thing to that. I think that all of that was enhanced by the work of Juleka Lantigua Williams, who was the editor, she got the stories emotionally and intellectually from the very first day we worked together. In the first day, we edited one complete program. She got it. And then she introduced us to Cedric Wilson, who did the soundscaping and did an original score. And I gave him some of the music that we had taken on the road trip and shared with him Some music that I love from that period. And I think the soundscaping adds to the emotional depth, makes the time pass quickly, and it disappears right at the time you need it to, and it comes in when you need it to.
0: Next up in the interview, Tracy is going to talk with Alvin and Janae about the timing of driving the Green Book's release, both in terms of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and the pandemic of systemic racism. But before we get into that, let's take a quick break.
2: And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. When you think
0: about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at HowLifeUnfolds.com slash Papertarian.
1: Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a guggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited to availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
2: When you all were on this trip... And uh, probably, I, mean, I imagine when you started working on editing the episodes, depending on what your timeline was like, I'd, it seems unlikely that anyone imagined that this podcast was going to be coming out to the public in the middle of a pandemic when travel is not being encouraged for anyone. Do you think that is going to affect how people hear and interact with these episodes?
3: We really had no control over the release date of this podcast series. Uh, And I was anxious to get it out. But I think in many ways, fates were looking favorably upon us. I think that somewhere out there, something or some power believed that people needed to hear this story. And it got released at this time when people may have been looking for something like this. I know that many people were at home and had seen the Green Book movie. So this provided a nice balance for what they were feeling toward the movie. And maybe it made them more curious about and open to hearing the real story as opposed to the Hollywood version.
2: The Hollywood version is a very different thing.
3: (laughs) It is a very different story because it's told from the white point of view. It's told from the point of view of the driver, not the point of view of the African-American pianist. Ours, as Janae said, is told from the point of view of a Black person, of the Black people we interviewed and ourselves.
4: Your comment about the pandemic really makes me think, because you were referencing the COVID-19 pandemic. And as Alvin said, people being at home and having more time, hopefully that makes them more curious to learn the real history. But we are also deep in a moment around another pandemic, the racism pandemic which is evidenced by police brutality against people of color by the unwarranted stops on the road that escalate into violence against people of color. And there's a growing public consciousness around that. So we're living through these twin pandemics of racism and violence against black people. Also while we're quarantined at home <laughs> because of the COVID-19 pandemic and in an odd way, I think that does create a situation where stories like this one really speak to the moment that we were in and hopefully can help people think about how can we be better in the future.
3: I think what Janae said is absolutely spot on. I think I worked on getting this series commissioned and realized for over two years, and I believed in it. And When we finally got it commissioned, I was thrilled. When Janae said, yes, I was thrilled. When we started the road trip, I was thrilled. But then we had to do the production and the production took a little bit longer. And then when Juleka finally came into the picture, it started to move fast. But even after that, there were little delays and little delays and I became concerned. Clearly, somewhere out there, some force was delaying this for this moment.
4: The ancestors.
3: The ancestors, exactly. Uh,
4: you
2: you went to so many places. You talked to so many people for this podcast. Was there anything, like a story that anyone told you or or something that happened along the way that you really wanted to fit into an episode and there just wasn't a good place for it?
3: Ooh, yes. When we were editing, there was a brilliant story when... Um, Dr. Evelyn Nettles was visiting her grandmother Essie Nettles down in Moss Point, Mississippi, when she was a little girl. Her grandmother gave her some money, and she went into the store to buy some ice cream. And of course, being a little girl, she didn't know that it was a segregated store. So she was up at the counter with her money about to buy her ice cream. And her grandmother, who was in the car, saw her and rushed in and grabbed her to get her out of there. And she didn't really understand why until much later. There were many stories like that about how a uh, a parent would try to protect their child. And often you heard them say later on, I really didn't know what was going on because my parents so protected me. We wanted to do a whole episode about that, but that was difficult to pull off, and so we left that story And I think the other one was, which we kept in until the last moment, was uh, Crystal Churchwell when we were sitting there in the Frist Museum and across from the Amtrak station. And she looked out of the window and said, my father was a porter in that station and they treated him so badly in that job that he didn't even last longer there. And here she is sitting in the museum overlooking that station where her father was treated so badly. Mm. It's It was just one of those rich moments you want to keep in because it adds texture, but you can't.
4: And there were many moments in the car or when Alvin and I would tour places and we would share our reflections on the stories we heard or these historical sites that we were visiting. And those don't appear in the podcast. And I do think there is a power in those reflections, because as we mentioned earlier, Alvin and I grew up at different times in this country, and we have had different experiences being Black people in this country. He's a man. I'm a woman. We're different generations. He grew up in the South. I grew up in the Northeast. And we still have this shared experience. And so many of the stories and reflections we were sharing were grounded in some universal fundamental truths that I have discovered hold. Solid, I think, for most Black folks. And I would love to be able to share some of that someday.
2: Are there any of the universal truths that you'd like to talk about now?
3: That we are an optimistic people. We could not have lived through Jim Crow segregation. We could not have survived all of the redlining that occurred, the denial of our rights when we had gone to war to fight communism and fascism, and then come back to this country and be treated the way we were. Uh, We have to be an optimistic people. Um, We are a forgiving people. Because you hear the stories, and most of them are really horrific, but people forgive and move on. We don't forget, but we forgive and move on because we know that we have to make a better life for ourselves. And I think that while we are aware of the past, we try not to let people trap us in the past. Many people will refer to Black people as if there's been no progress since Reconstruction or since Jim Crow or since the Great Migration. We are a diverse people in America, and we've done a lot to help sustain America. I tell everybody, we are the people with the passing of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, who helped America realize the word democracy. (laughs) It's that simple. So there are those truths that we all participate in that I think about quite frequently, especially in the times in which we live.
2: So Driving the Green Book is 10 total episodes. Uh, I have heard four of them. There will be a fifth one out by the time this episode comes out. Do you each have favorites among those episodes or are they all are they all at a, an equal place in your hearts?
4: Can any mother choose a favorite among those <laughs>
3: <favorites>? <laughs> Well, there's one I can't listen to. I cannot listen to episode six. Oh. It is, it's so, uh, Hank Sanford's story of, about his mother is so powerful, so powerful. And it's a simple story. And at the very end of it, Janae asks a very simple question. What is your mother's name? It's a beautiful sequence. And for me, that story is the one that lives in me every day, every day. I don't think I've let that story go since the time we recorded it.
4: I will never forget that moment. That is one of my most favorite moments of being on the road, I remember when he said her name, Yeah. the hairs on my arm stood up. And it was almost as if you could feel her presence because we said her name. We called her back to us.
3: Yes. And another favorite moment was when he recalled the march from Selma to Montgomery. And he talked about Dr. King and how he would say, how long, and the crowd would say, not long, and then he repeated again, how long, not long. And then I asked the question, if Dr. King was standing in front of you today, and he said, how long, how would you answer that question today? One of those moments you never
2: forget. Uh, Thank you both so much for talking to me today is there anything that you would really want our listeners to know about driving the green book or your experience working on it?
4: Ooh,
3: I think for Janae and me, one of the rich aspects of this series is the different accents that you will hear throughout. You have Hezekiah opening it. You have, the beautiful voice of Evelyn Nettles you have Danny Ransom talking about his love of maps and to me just to hear all of those accents from all over the south it's just so beautiful it's and i think people need to listen out for that because i think that is what really makes this better than just going out and doing a simple documentary And there'll be long passages in which you will hear nothing from Janae or from me. And all you will have will be the voices of the people we interviewed.
4: My hope is that driving the Green Book inspires younger Black people to seek out the stories of their elders. These are not the stories that are commonly told, but these are the stories that are so important for us to understand collectively who we are and the strength that we have and all of the beauty and intelligence and grace and wisdom that we have to offer the world. There are so many more of these stories. There are 10 episodes in this podcast. We could have made a hundred. There are so many more stories and not just about the green book. Black people, African Americans, we are extraordinary and spectacular. There's so much more to be shared.
2: Thank you both again so, so much. Thank you. For our listeners who want to learn more about the Negro Motors Green Book, first, of course, there's the excellent podcast that we have been talking about for the last uh, half hour or so. Also, the New York Public Library has digitized more than 20 years of Green Books. Um, They put them online in 2015. And so if you would like to go browse through them, see what it looked like, those are there. And then Driving the Green Book is from Macmillan Podcasts, and it's available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and the iHeartRadio app, basically anywhere that you would like to get your podcasts. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much to Alvin and Janae for taking the time to talk with me. It was truly a pleasure. I really appreciate their work on Driving the Green Book. Like I said, when I talked to them, I had listened to the four episodes uh, that were already out, and they are they are really lovely and Thoughtful and insightful. I really hope our listeners will check it out also. As I said in the interview, it's the subject we've really wanted to cover on our show for a long time, and their approach to it is just really moving and and interesting. There's a lot going on.
0: Tracy, I am so thankful that you made time to do this interview. It came up at a time when my schedule was not very forgiving and willing to make a space, so I really, really appreciate it. Uh, Since this did run a little bit long, and it is a lot of really marvelous information to digest, we're not doing listener mail this time. Uh, But Tracy, do you want to tell people where they can find us?
2: Yes, if you would like to email us, you can at history podcast at iHeartRadio.com. And then we're all over social media at Mist in History. That's where you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. And you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and anywhere else to get your podcast. <laughs> Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia Media is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.